Man, it's been a long week. How about you? Anybody have a long week out there? You know, this week, and I say this in the nicest of way, but my wife, Shiloh, and Josh left me for three days. Three days. And the amount of tissues that I cried in over those three days because my wife was gone. Like our house was full. The kids were swimming in it when they came back because it just, it was so rough. And then Thursday, my other two daughters, Jayla and Jordan, flew to Chicago. So they really, everybody other than my oldest son, Micah, who's now my favorite because he didn't leave me. He stayed with me when everybody else left me. He stayed with me. So, Micah, wherever you are, love you. Oh, Shadow, you're in here still? I'm just kidding, right? Right, right, right. What a long week, right? But it's good to be here this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to start in verse 31 this morning. If you don't, it will be on the screen. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and it says this. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, then he'll sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in, into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you? Thirsty or give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show hospitality? Naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, cursed ones, into the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Last couple verses. And then he replied, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous will go away to eternal life. And so this morning, we start a new theme and turn to your neighbor and say, WWJD, WWJD, WWJD. And, and many of us can remember this from, from way back in the day, right? How many of us, you know, um, saw those bracelets and the T-shirts, and we, brought, we bought the bracelets, we bought the T-shirts, right? WWJD. So this week is uh, everyone left me, and I was lonely, and I was praying, because God was also there with me. But I was praying and asking God for, you know I love you, babe, right? As I was praying and asking God what theme he wanted me to start after Resurrection Sunday. And God put this on my heart. What would Jesus do? And I was thinking about this because what would Jesus think today if he was to walk through every church in the world? If Jesus was to walk into every church door, you know, throughout the entire world, through America, through here, what would he think? And if Jesus was to walk through every one of our houses... 
what would he think? And if Jesus rode with us to work every single day, what would he think? What would he think about our marriages? What, what would he think about our jobs? What would he think about the music we listen to? What would he think about the movies we watch on YouTube or on our phones or in um, however you watch it these days? What would he really think? And then I thought about it. You know, see, we as Americans, turn to your neighbor and say, we American, right? right? We, we're crazy like that. You see, what we do sometimes, we like to focus on one thing. Turn to your neighbor and say, we always focus on one thing. Because how many churches, and, and some of these words will ring a bell, how many of us know that there are churches that are labeled like prosperity churches, right? And how many churches are labeled like healing churches, deliverance churches, right? Bible churches. Now, if I was to take a step back, did Jesus, was he classified as just one of those or all of those? So why do we in the world, why do we in America tend to just pigeonhole ourselves to one thing? Why do we tend to just say, you know, it seems like when, when one thing happens, maybe one good thing happens, we like to, as people, take it and run with it, right? Jesus, he wasn't stuck. He wasn't labeled. He taught. He preached. He healed. He delivered. He set free. He saved. We as Christians today and us and every church around the world, we shouldn't pigeonhole ourselves to just being one thing. We should be everything. Right? We should be everything. What would Jesus do? And so as we start this journey, and again, if you didn't ever see this, then I'm sorry you missed it. Because this, you know, in the Christian world a while back, it took over and it was WWJD everywhere, right? So when your, your friend looked at you funny, you said, hey, WWJD, right? When you heard a song they shouldn't be playing, it's, well, what WWJD, right? When it was it was all over the place and so this morning we get into our first text this morning and it is a beautiful text and it says that jesus the king at the end this describes the second coming of christ turn to your neighbor and say it's the second coming of christ now if you don't know what the second coming of christ is it's because he already came right he was born he lived he died right and now he's coming back a second time. So this is the second coming of Christ. And it says when he comes back the second time, he's going to separate people. He's going to separate people like sheep and goats. And for whatever reasons, he, he considered and he labeled and he kind of pictured and he's painting this picture of sheep and goats. The word separated there means to set a boundary, to limit, to exclude, and divide. So at the end, at the second coming, Jesus is going to separate people. And he's going to say to people, right, left. Now, interestingly enough, we know Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18, he described that as believers, we should be separated already, right? That as believers, there are things that we learn to separate ourselves from. That as people, if we want to live doing the right things, being the right person, if we want to grow as people, how many of us know that it's important to grow as a person? We should continue to grow as a person, as a man, as a woman, as a husband, as a father. I don't want to be just a mediocre dad. I want to be the best dad. Do I have bad dad days? Absolutely, right? I want to be the best husband. And believe me, I have bad husband days, sometimes more than my two hands, right? It's, I'm sometimes nice, kind, loving, and then sometimes I'm not to my wife, right? I mean, it just... But I don't want to just make the excuse and say, that's just how I am. Or this is how I was born. Or this is what I learned. This is what my family taught me. I want to continue to get better as a man, as a Christian, as a husband, 
as a father. And so if I want to get better as a person, if I want to get better as a Christian, all those things, then I learn in life at a young age. I have to separate myself. There's just things that aren't good for me. Apostle Paul described that in 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be tied. Do not team up with other things that are going to pull you down, that are going to drag you down. So interestingly enough, it says that at the very end, Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats. And you know why he has to? Because really as people, we don't want to. Really, as people, we don't want to. So at the end, what is he going to have to do? He's going to have to do it. He will separate the sheep from the goats. Now, sheep are more valuable than goats. Sheep are more obedient for whatever reason they are. So Jesus paints the sheep in this story as the good, the good people, right? The good guys. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a good guy. None of us in here are bad, right? We're all good people. We're all good people in here. Sheep and goats were together in the day, but they were separated at night for sleeping preferences, night habits. Sheep and goats were together in the day, they grazed in the day, but at night they were separated for preferences. So Jesus says to them, he says, the sheep are going to be separated, right or the left. There will be people on the right, there will be people on the left. And how many of us remember last week when we learned to cast our nets on the what side? Right side. What happens? There's a reward, right? Whatever reason, the right is the right side. When you throw your nets, when you throw your life into the right place at the right moment, good things will happen. When Jesus separates people, it's the people on the right who are going to be rewarded. It is the right. And it says that the people on the right are going to inherit the kingdom of God. How many of us... We love driving down Florida Street, and we love it especially when we, you know, pull into a plaza, because when you pull out of the plaza, what's the first thing? Now, if you pay attention, because not all of us pay attention when we drive, right? Some of us, we pay attention. Other people, God bless America, we just pray that they're not close to us, right? But when we pull out of the plaza, what's that sign say? Right? Turn only. How many of it's ingrained in our brains? And, and how many of us, now let's be honest, how many of us have broken that like multiple times? Especially when we're in a hurry. Signs don't matter when you're in a hurry, right? Cops don't really matter when you're in a hurry, right? That's why we're speeding, because we got to get somewhere, right? Just kidding. But we've been ingrained in our driving. What is it? Right turn only. But when it comes to spiritual living, we haven't got that sometimes. When it comes to spiritual living, we haven't learned that it's better to be on the right side. Everything happens better on the right for whatever reason. Sleep on your right side instead of the left. You snore less if you snore. Just kidding, I don't know. But we can only hope and pray. Right turn only. It reminds me of a verse, Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above else because it determines the course of your life. If you live with a right turn only mode, you're learning to live a life that is guarded. Our hearts are precious. It says that our hearts determine the course of our life. How many of us know that the life that we have, it is so precious? Isn't life precious? Isn't it awesome and amazing to be alive? We are living and breathing. We get the opportunity. We get the opportunity to drive around this beautiful valley in heaven. We are alive. We are alive today. And we may have 20 years. We may have 50 years. We may have five years. We may have a week. But however long we're here, let's enjoy the life that God's given to us. And how do you enjoy life to the max? It's by learning to live on the right. 
It's by learning to live a life on the right, guarding our heart above else, learning to guard, put up guards, put up guardrails. You know, I work in Idlewild quite a bit, and um, I don't know if you remember, but a few years ago there was a fire, and there was a man who thought it'd be funny, and I guess he enjoyed it, but he started in Anza, and he set like seven fires from Anza to Idlewild. And the last one went up through Idlewild, went through Mount Center, and so for me, who sell food to restaurants, you know, it affected a lot of my customers and it affected the people because obviously if there's a fire racing up the mountain and, and you live in a wood house, right? Aren't you gonna freak out a little bit? You're gonna freak out just a little bit, right? But that fire took over and it took over a big portion of the mountain. Some people don't know how to live with guardrails and some people don't know how to tell themselves, I don't need to do this, this isn't good for me. And so, um, you know, what the, what the city had to do and, and state, they had to spend a bunch of money as they redid the road because not only did the fire ruin, you know, all the vegetation, all the weeds, because weeds are important too, but all the things that it destroyed, but it also, what happened when, when it took out all the trees and brushes, when water came down, it, it, rushed, it brushed out the road, right? It killed the road. And so you couldn't just drive up Florida all the way to Idlewild for almost like a year because one, obviously people who are doing construction gotta milk it, they're on the clock, right? So they gotta, you know, they can't get it done in a month, they gotta stretch it out for, you know, if you're on the, on the clock, let's just stretch this out as long as we can. But anyway, they took a long time, right? And they took a long time to get that road fixed and they then had to put up new guardrails. And I, I have gone up and down that mountain 3,000 times. I've seen cars that have gone over the edge, motorcycle guys who have slid off because there was no guardrail. And sometimes in our spiritual life, we don't know how to set up that guardrail. We need guardrails as people. We need to know how to say, I should guard my heart in this. I should guard my heart around these people. I should do this. And that's called living, learning to live on the what? On the right side. Jesus described the people on the, on the right as people who, it's interesting, now he didn't say to the people on the right side, you look good, you sound good, you preach good, you pray for people good. Jesus described people who lived on the right side as people who fed people who were hungry. Jesus described people on the right side as people when he, they saw somebody who was thirsty, here's a cup of water. Jesus described these people who lived on the right side as people who were hospital. They offered homes, they offered hotels, they offered places to stay. He offered to, for the people on the right side, these people would visit people in prison. And so, you know, interestingly enough, people who went to prison back in this day, most of them died from malnutrition. So people who went to prison in Jesus' day and before, they died of malnutrition. And so it was important that you had friends and family visit you because if they didn't come and feed you, what was gonna happen to you in prison? You would die. Not like today, because all prison food's super yummy, right? And all those guys are, and ladies are well-fed and well-taken care of, right? Not really, it's always prison food junk. But anyway, back in this day, people were, they died in prison unless you had family and friends. And so as Jesus said those words, it's different when we think of visiting someone in prison. Like now you would go visit someone in prison because they're lonely, right? Yes, they're surrounded by other men. Yes, they're surrounded by other ladies. Yes, they're surrounded by people. But how many people in prison are lonely people? Just like in our world today, even without being in a specific prison, a lot of us live lonely lives, right? 
So as Jesus described visiting people in prison, and he described these people as people who are automatic. I don't know about you, but most every day I would prefer to drive a car that's automatic. Stick shift is fun, right? Stick shift is wonderful when you're racing up and down a hill, when you're, when you're racing and you're, you're beating people. But for everyday driving, isn't driving with an automatic just a little bit simpler? You just put it in drive, reverse, park, right? You don't have to constantly do this, this, and this, which is fun. The people Jesus described in this story they were so good to other people, it was automatic to them. It was something that they didn't have to be told what to do. They didn't need to be told to feed the hungry. They didn't have to be told to give a glass of water to somebody who's thirsty. They didn't have to be told to visit people who are in prison. They didn't have to be told to care for people who are sick. It was so automatic in their nature. It felt so right and it felt so good to them. They didn't need to be told to do the right thing. They just did it. And so Jesus said to them, and they actually replied back to Jesus and said, when did we ever see you, Jesus, hungry? Jesus, when did we ever see you thirsty? When did we ever see you sick? When did we ever see you in prison? And Jesus responded to them, it's what you did to the least of these brothers of mine. Man, you did it for me. You did it, you did it for me. And so this verse brings up questions because as Jesus was describing this and he's talking about doing good things for other people, and, but he's also talking about the second judgment of Christ, it's bringing a confusion that, so then are we saved by what we do? Are we saved by doing good works for people? No, no, we're not. We're not saved by doing good works, but, being by, but by being saved, you automatically do good things all the time. We're not saved by what we do, right? We're saved by grace. But if you are saved, the product of your salvation is you automatically do good things. There's an argument in which <clears throat> when Jesus described the least of these Many people say maybe he's talking just to the Jewish people. We just need to be nice to Jewish people. And other people say, no, 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 no. You got to be nice to the Gentiles, which we are Gentiles, right? Unless you're Jewish, either Jewish or Gentiles, how it's described. But think about it. Does God want us to be nice just to Jewish people or all, all people? But why is it in our life sometimes we're only nice to a certain group of people? Why is it we get stuck on whether it's friends, whether it's family, why is it those in our circle, if we know that God doesn't want, that he wants us to be nice to everybody, why is it we get so stuck being nice to only a certain group of people? Jesus was having a conversation one day, and he was asking them and telling them the most important thing in life, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the guy said, well, who's my neighbor then? Who should I be nice to? And so Jesus describes a person that's a neighbor and the person he describes, it's somebody that this man would hate, that this man would strongly dislike. And so this morning, what I want to propose to you is, I think all of us have people that we don't want to be nice to. I think all of us have people that bother us. I think there's certain groups, at times there's certain colors, at times there's certain attitudes. And so when Jesus said, who is the least of these? It's the person that bothers you the most. It's the person that bothers you the most, and that is who he wants you to picture these verses for. That is who, the least, the most. This, this person really gets under my skin. This is who God wants me to be nice to. Unfortunately, Jesus goes on in the story, and he describes people who live on the left side and said, nah, that's not me, I'm not on the left side, I'm, I'm a right side kind of person, right? 
I don't turn left. It says right turn only. I only turn right. And he described the people who are going to be pushed to the left as people who aren't willing to feed, aren't willing to give a drink to somebody, aren't willing to help. They don't care. They don't visit. They don't help. And they have all the excuses in the whole entire world why I don't have to be nice. You know, I am in the, the food business. Many know I sell food for Cisco. And I can't tell you the, the weirdest thing, but I've heard multiple owners say that on Sunday mornings, and take no offense, because I know it's not our church, but other church people. But they say that Sunday mornings, church people are the grouchiest, worst attitude uh, patrons that walk through the doors. And it's like, you know, and the funny thing is, is, is how many people go to church, and so they should be walking out, pumped up, praising Jesus. Hallelujah! The choir's still going off behind them. They got a light bulb behind them. But why is it people walk into restaurants and because our tummies are speaking, oh, they got my eggs wrong. Come here, devil, right? Oh, they gave me bacon instead of sausage. Where's my machete? Why as believers, we walk out of church? And that's sad, that breaks my heart that, that I'm in this business and owners tell me that Christians are the worst hippers. They have the worst attitude. This, this, and this, and this, and it's like, Again, remember what's the Bible say? WWJD. So we should obviously act like Jesus in church, which most of us do. But we should act like Jesus when we leave church and we go out to eat. We should act like Jesus when we go to work. We should act like Jesus in our marriages. We should act like Jesus in our, in our families. And so sometimes, have we ever taken a step back to say, is my attitude does my attitude reflect Jesus Christ? The left side, it says that they refused to be people who help. They refused. Isn't refuse a strong word? Refuse is this really, really strong word. How many of us have kids and they refused to take out the trash? How many of us have kids and they refused to pick up dog poop? And you know who gets stuck picking up dog poop? I get home from work and there's like six bombs laying all over the floor. Does no one else know where toilet paper in the toilet is to put it in there? I'm like, I'm the only one. Kids refuse to do that kind of stuff, right? But we can't always just, you know, talk bad about our kids because how many of us still refuse to do things as adults? How many of us adults refuse to be nice at times? When we want to be mean, how many of us know we can be mean? Oh, we can be mean, right? But the person we're being mean to, do they deserve it? No, right? The people described in this story, they refused the help. They refused. If we were to just think about what Jesus talked about, hungry, food, water, thirst, all over this valley, I have refused people hundreds of times. And many times it's that line, well, if I give somebody, you know, money, they're just going to go buy drugs, right? I have refused people, I can't tell you how many times in this valley. So then I came up with a light bulb. Well, if they're hungry, why don't I just go buy them something to eat, yeah. right? If you're at a gas station and they're asking for gas, okay, I'll, I'll give you a little bit, but, you know. But then, isn't that a little controlling? Would you want mom or your daddy, if you go to them and say, hey, can I have some money? I want to go buy, you know, I want to go buy something. Do you like being told what you can buy with your money? If, if you get an allowance, if you work hard for your money, don't you want to be able to do what you want to do with your money? So then should we take a step back and ask ourselves, if someone is asking for something, 
what would Jesus do? And how would he word it? And how would he give it? You know, just like um, Christians, in my mind, are the nicest people in the whole wide world. Um, I can't, when I was, uh, how old was I? I was probably 17 or 18. So me and my friends for a short period in high school, we thought we were deadheads, right? And so we went to a couple Grateful Dead concerts. And you know what the weirdest thing was in that was actually the nicest people I've ever met in the whole entire world. And if you know what a deadhead is, it's people who follow, used to follow the Grateful Dead, right? And when I got there, I was amazed because these people, they would travel show to show to show, and they would sell various kinds of things that we're not going to talk about, but they would sell whatever it took to get to the next show, right? But if they saw a homeless person who needed a ride, you know who the first person to pick them up? One of the deadheads. They were kind. They were giving. And it blew me away as a young kid because I did grow up in the church and I've seen how we as Christians act sometimes. And sometimes, yes, we are nice. Yes, sometimes we're kind. And then other times we're just raunchy, really, right? But the more I hung out with these, these people who are called the deadheads, man, they were giving. If someone needed a shirt, they absolutely, here, here's my shirt. So kind, so giving. And so why should the church be the ones who are labeled as mean, bad people? We should be the one leading the charge. We should be the church of Jesus Christ. That's what he was, what's why God designed it. It's what he's put us here for, to be the light of the world. And so you know what? It does take money to feed. Yes, it takes money to give out water because you don't want to give them crappy water. You want to give them clean water, right? Clean water costs something, right? So it costs to give out food. It costs to give out water. It costs to give out clothes. We should be the ones of the church of Jesus leading the way, helping whoever we could help. Instead of doing what? Instead of refusing. Because Jesus said, unfortunately, what you do and how you give and how you live is, is going to be determined where you end up forever somewhere. One day when you close your eyes, you're going to end up somewhere. When, when, that, when the light bulb goes off one day, when you pass from this life, you're going to go somewhere. And that's unless Jesus comes back before we die, which that's what a lot of us pray for, right? So we don't have to taste death. But we're going to forever be somewhere. And Jesus said the people who are going to be on the right side get to inherit eternal life. Eternal life. Jesus said, I'm leaving so that I can prepare a place with you. Many rooms, mansions, jacuzzis, up in the sky, all kinds of good stuff. Jesus said that when you get to heaven, when you get there, there's going to be no more weeping. There's going to be no more pain. There's going to be no more sickness. There's going to be no more talking of, of any kind of cold flu, any kind of virus, nothing. When we die and pass from this life, it's it. Everything's done and it's spoken for and it's over. And so forever somewhere, it's really important, right? Because there are people who, how many of us know that in this life, they live, some people live short lives and it's sad. There are people, kids, who die at a young age. Some of them suicide, some by car accidents. And it's horrible. And it's tragic. And then there's other people, and, and some of them aren't even nice, but they live to be 110. We are not guaranteed how many days we get in this life. But what you are guaranteed is what? The choice with what you do. And the choice, how you treat other people. How you treat other people. How you treat other people. Forever somewhere. So part of the reason that this theme was put on my heart, I was watching a movie the other day. 
with my girls before they left me, Jayla and Jordan, who Kim's on the way to get right now in San Diego. But I was watching this, mo this movie called The Jesus Music. But there was a band back in the day, turned to your neighbor and say, yeah, back in the day. They got saved, like in junior high, watching a TV preacher. And so they were watching the TV, and back then it was black and white, right? It was, it was those little tubes, whatever, the, those really old TVs, nothing we'd want to watch through today. But there was these young boys, junior high age, who got saved listening to a TV preacher. They started a heavy metal Christian band where they're throwing out Bibles, and, and it was about Jesus, and it was wild, and it was crazy. They dressed wild. They looked crazy. And as they got really super popular, the secular world loved them, Christians loved them, young people, not old people. But one day they turn on the TV and they hear the TV preacher who they listened to and got saved. And he took their album and he said, you see this album right here? If you listen to these demons, you're gonna go to hell. This was the TV preacher that for their young hearts, they listened to and they got saved. And then years later, as they heard it on TV, they all kind of vanished, broke up the band and went away. Broken hearted. See, we as Christians sometimes don't realize how judgmental we are. We don't realize that as Christians sometimes how we're treating other people. And when someone's having a bad day and they know you're a Christian and you just made it worse, what do they do? That's nothing I wanna be a part of. Why would I want to be a part of that? Second part of the movie that really stuck out to me is music is powerful. Music is so powerful. We know that music around the world, everywhere you go, in everything that you do, music is powerful. And for me, when I saw this, I saw really how much music changed Christianity and it helped the church, but yet the church didn't want the help because they didn't like the hippies back in the day with long hair playing guitar and singing songs about Jesus because they looked funny and sounded funny. But it was the music and people who had a heart and a desire. You know, we saw that in the 60s, if you know history a little bit, back in that day, how many of us know that there was a war in Vietnam, right? And how many people were confused by that war? It's kind of similar today. How many of us know that there's a war going on somewhere over there? And how many of us are confused about the war that's going on over there? You know, back in this day, when Jesus' music was birthed, there was a lot of political weird stuff happening with people cheating, right? And how many of us seen a year ago, how many of us people thought there was a lot of cheating and politics going on? Young people, they were confused. They were lost. And you know why? Because the church for years told young people, don't do this. But they never explain why you don't do it. You should take right turns only. Because if you make a left turn, you can get pulled over by a cop, you can get in an accident, right? For a long time, the church was don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do. And sometimes when we don't realize it, that's how we sound as people. Negative. Don't do. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Right? And how many of us as parents, how many of us tell our kids no all the time? Right? Well, we have to because we have to learn. Right? But we don't realize how judgmental we sound sometimes. Music is powerful. One of the most powerful tools in the whole entire world. It has really changed the church for better. 
it has changed people for better. You know, today there's Christian artists who are, who are giving their lives. Are they perfect? Absolutely not. Is every Christian perfect? Absolutely not. But there are artists who are giving us music. You know, lately, worship music has, has taken a rise around the world, and the Hillsongs and the Elevation and the Mosaic and Maverick City Music, they have transformed worship. They've come together because they want to provide something to inspire people, to give people hope. They know how powerful music is. Music is powerful in what we listen to. And that's why it's powerful for us today, too. Who do we support with our music? Who do we listen to? Who are we giving our time, energy, and attention to in our music? You know, part of this story, Jesus talked about being separated. And so there should be a separation inside of us. If there, we know that there are things that are not good for us or for our ears to hear still, then we have to separate ourselves. If there are people, other music, other bands that we know that's just not good to be around, then we separate ourselves from those. So Thursday, I was taking my two girls to the airport, and, um, you know, I'm a nice dad, right, for the most part, and so I'm, I'm walking them into Palm Springs, and I'm hoping they're going to let me walk my 18-year-old daughter, who's still my baby girl, of course, and then my 12-year-old baby, who's my baby, Jordan. So they let us kind of get the luggage checked in, checked in and then um, we get in line for security. And I don't know if you've ever been to Palm Springs Airport. I've flown out like three or four times and it was always empty. Like Palm Springs to me in, in the old days was like, this is the best thing in the whole wide world. There's like 20 people here. You walk in, there's like six terminals and it's, it's simple. But this day there was like 5,000 people, of course, and it's my two girls. So I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. So I go up to the security, we get to the front, and I'm like, um, he goes, are you flying with them? I said, no, it's just my 18-year-old daughter, my 12-year-old daughter. And, you know, here they are, and they're, she, of course, has a driver's license, but my 12-year-old doesn't have a driver's license. And he goes, well, I need to see the boarding pass. Now, I had just asked American Airlines when I was there, here's my 18-year-old and my 12-year-old, when we get to security, is there anything that... We need. Now, how many of us today, now there are still people who print directions, they print their tickets, they're gonna print their boarding passes, but for the rest of the world, use your, your phone, your smartphone, right? You just load it on your phone, your boarding pass, it's right there, it's so easy and simple. So of course we didn't print anything, and I asked them, are we gonna need anything to get through the line? Nope, you're gonna be fine. So we get there, of course, guess what happens? It's not fine. How's this 12-year-old girl fine? Well, she has her 18-year-old sister. I'm saying yes, I'm right here. He goes, well, we need to see the boarding passes. We don't have them printed. We need to pull up on your phone. You know what the problem with our phone in that area? No cell reception. So we're standing there and there's 200 people behind us and my daughter's phone would not load. And so I go to the security guy, I said, listen, I'm really sorry. It's here, you can see. We actually did have two tickets that were printed, but it just was the receipt, showed that we paid for the ticket. But I said, it's here, you can see her name, her name. Is there any way, it won't load, can you see? He goes, well, you have to do two things. Get out of line, go somewhere where you find reception, or you can let your daughter stay here, and then you go do it. So I had to walk 300 feet so I can find cell reception, so that I can pull up the boarding passes, so that my two girls could get on the airplane together. And you know what reminded me is I'm watching this movie this week. I'm all alone and I'm tears and I'm crying and having you know moment and all those things. And then this boarding pass thing happened. As many people 
when they get to heaven, that's exactly what it's going to be like for them. Ah, I'm struggling to find my pass. How did I, I don't even know if I belong here in heaven. I don't know if I'm, if I'm Jesus, am I, you know, am I here? Am I supposed to be here? Many people, they have no absolutely idea the other side. Their, their boarding pass, it's like stuck in transit. Their, their boarding pass is stuck and they don't really know. Jesus said this story. Are we saved by works? Absolutely not. But being saved, we should see good works from you. We should see good things from you. Jesus said, you know people by their what? Their fruit. And if you're a good fruit and you do good things, you're going to produce good fruit. But if you refuse, like the people on the left, to do nothing for nobody, where's the fruit of your salvation? What fruit do we see coming out of your life that says, I am saved, I believe in God, I believe, I believe. Jesus' half-brother James, Jesus' half-brother James, he said, faith without works is dead. You can tell me all day you believe, but I don't want to hear it. Show me. It's like how many of us are married? Don't tell me you love me. Show me you love me, right? How many of us know that in marriage? We don't want to be told I love you. It's nice. It's absolutely nice. But we want to be shown love as people, don't we? God is saying, don't say you love me. Show me you love me. Don't say you believe. Show me you believe. Don't say that you're a Christian, but you do nothing for no one at any given time. You're put here for a reason. How many people, if you Google one of the most Google things in the whole wide world, it's people who are looking for purpose. People are looking for meaning. People are looking for hope. People are looking for something. And in the Bible, if you read it, it's right here. Start by doing something. Start by expressing. I'll never forget the first time that I had to go when I was in junior high. And again, you know that my dad drug me to church. And so our junior high pastor at the time, he took us to the wheelhouse in beautiful Hemet here. And we were going street witnessing. Now, I had no idea at that age, 12 years old, really, I mean, I, you hear about God, but at 12, do you really know God? But you know what happened at 12, as we're out there, I wasn't one of the kids who said, ah, I'm not going to do it, like, I'm not going to say anything. I just started talking, like, I had no idea what I was saying, but I just started talking about God like I knew him, but I didn't really know him. But you know what happened? It's like, I kind of like this. There was something that sparked inside of me, and it wouldn't have happened unless I took that step. It wouldn't happen because the other kids that are with, many of them, they didn't want to talk about God because they didn't know him just like I didn't really know him at 12. But because I made that effort and made a small step, I don't even remember what I said back then. God loves you. You're going to hell if you don't repent. I don't know. I don't remember. I don't remember if I was nice, kind, or loving. But my mouth, my words made an effort. There was an effort. There was a step. There was a movement. We can make excuses all day why we can't help people. Or we can look around and say, what can I do to help? We can love every person, and we can serve every single one that we can. This morning, stand with us. We're going to close and pray. So as I, 
get up this morning, we're going to sing our last song, and we're going to close. Just a couple parting thoughts. <clears throat> One, we start a new theme, what would Jesus do? And that, that theme and that mindset is, I don't want to just be pigeonholed into one type of believer. I want to be everything God made me to be, right? I don't want to be just labeled as someone who's a giver. I also want to be someone who serves. I don't want to be pigeonholed. I don't want to be, I don't want to be put in one little box and say, John can only be this way. I want to be everything that God made me to be. And I think that for all of us, that should be our goal. I need to be everything that God has made me to be. If God wants me to use me to pray for someone and they get healed, then yeah, okay. If God wants to use me to share his word with somebody and they get saved, okay. But it doesn't mean that I only do healing and that I only do, I only, you know, preach salvation. It's that we're made to do everything, right? God put me here to do everything. And so our actions in life, they separate us. Our actions in life, they separate us from those who believe, from those who pretend to believe. And so with your eyes closed and heads bowed this morning, the big question is, our actions in life, they separate us. Our actions speak of who we are. Our actions speak of what we believe. Our actions and how we live, walk, and talk. How we live, walk, and talk, the actions speak of who and what we believe. And so the question is this morning, with our eyes closed and heads bowed, is your boarding pass to heaven set and secure this morning? Do your actions show? Not actions from 20 years ago. Not actions from 10 years ago. Not saying 10 years ago I, I gave my life to Jesus and I've been, you know, in love with Jesus ever since. Do our actions show in this past week? Do our actions show that we really believe? Do our actions show that we believe? And so with your eyes closed and heads bowed, I want everyone to have a boarding pass today. And how do we get a boarding pass to heaven? How do we get a boarding pass when Jesus comes back and he judges everybody and he separates them from the right and the left and there's going to be sheep and goats and there's going to be good people and bad people. People are separated. How is there, why is there separation and how do I end up on the right side? How do I get to heaven? It's really, really simple and it's complicated. With your eyes closed this morning. If you look at the Gospels with your eyes closed, Jesus said to the men, he said, come follow me because I have a new way of life for you. And so the first thing that you have to tell yourself, if I want my boarding pass to heaven, it's listening to the call that Jesus said 2,000 years ago, but he says it this morning. Leave what you're doing. And he says, come follow me. Everything that you've learned in life up to this point, take it, kind of set it on a bookshelf for now. And come and see how I live and how I teach and how I live. Because it's good. It's fulfilling. Why do we want to follow Jesus? There is no other fulfilling life. There is nothing. There are things in life that we taste and try and do that's fulfilling to a point. But nothing satisfies and fulfills like Jesus Christ.